Well, good morning and welcome. We are just so thankful that you are here this morning. Um, I just want to begin by quickly introducing Melissa, James, and Janet. Would you guys just stand up? Ladies, stand up for a minute. We just want you to know that we have been praying for you. Um, I'm so thankful for their helping and planning. They are going to help head up Wellspring this year and hopefully carry it into the future. So I am just thrilled for God's provision. Thanks, ladies. Um, We are looking forward to another year together in Wellspring and uh, to all that God's going to teach us. And uh, so one of the reasons I also wanted to introduce them is if you have any questions, either today or throughout the year, um, just ask any one of the three of us and we will hopefully answer those questions or find an answer for you. So this morning, Scott Maxwell is going to come in and start us off. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Scott is the elder over Women's Ministries, and uh, we are just so blessed to have him. Scott is a very uh, shepherding uh, uh, pastor and elder, and uh, who um, he really cares for the women of this church. He's a very encouraging. Um, Shepherd, and I know that he prays for us, and so we are just really thankful to have him here this morning. So he's going to be going over, excuse me, Grace Bible Church's vision and purpose, and how this ministry of Wellspring fits into that vision and purpose. But before he comes in, there are some details that we're going to go over this morning. So if this is your first time taking Wellspring, would you just stand up, please? Great, we're glad you're here. And before you sit down, stand up. Yes, yes. Now, being over in kids doesn't count. Here. So stay standing. And then if this is your first week taking Thursday Wellspring, would you just stand up as well? All right, look at these ladies, who these new women. We are really looking forward to getting to know you this year. And we're just really glad that you're here and hope that you feel welcomed and encouraged. So thank you very much for doing that. Um, we, I just want to walk you through what a typical Thursday morning is going to look like. So normally, I gave you a little bit of grace time this morning, but normally we're going to start right at 9.15 in this room. So please drop off your kids. Um, come in plenty of time to drop off your kids at 9 o'clock. That time's changed this year. Um, so they will be ready to, to uh, receive your children at 9 o'clock. Then come in here, grab um, some coffee, and uh, get get settled. Um, you'll have a little bit of time to enjoy some fellowship together, get to know one another, and then um, uh, we'll be ready to start at 9.15. So I know some of you drop off kids earlier than that. If you want to just come on in, come in this room and, with your kids and enjoy fellowship until they're ready to receive them at, at 9 o'clock, feel free to do that too. We'd love, love to. I know I like getting to know your kids, so that's always a treat for me when they come in. Um, so please feel free to do that. That fellowship time is an important part of Wellspring, and so we just want to encourage that as much as we can. So when you come in, hopefully you saw this morning, there'll be an attendance sheet. Just check your name off on that. Pick up, uh, there'll be handouts every week. Pick those up and then um, come on in. And uh, at that time, then right at 9.15, either Janet or Melissa will start us off in prayer and just a little bit of time in encouragement in God's word. And then we'll have a teaching time of about an hour. And then at that point, we'll break up into discussion groups um, for the rest of the morning, except for this morning. This morning, we're going to be in here all morning. So um, one of your handouts this morning was the discussion groups. 
Um, so if you take a look at that, don't just like study it the whole time and tune me out. I don't, I don't want you to hear wah, 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 wah from up here um, and then have questions later on. But uh, one thing I do want you to look in, that is to see if your name is not on there. And then if you could let Janet, Melissa, or me know, we want to make sure that you get uh, put on a, a discussion group list. So, And then I want to mention, too, that we are going to continue to end, as other years, right at 11 o'clock. So just make sure that your discussion group um, ends in plenty of time to go over and get your kids. We are so blessed to have women um, committed to Wellspring Kids, to leading them, teaching them. They, they're not there because they have to. They're there because they want to. They love your children, and they have planned uh, really well the Bible lessons and um, everything, the snack, everything that they plan is toward the end of teaching your children, and so they have planned um, uh, the morning really well, but they've planned it until 11 o'clock, and then they will be ready for you to pick up your kids. So we just want to make sure that we honor them and all of the things that they have planned for the morning, and so just make sure that you uh, pick up your kids. Again, if you want to pick them up, come back in this room and fellowship for a little bit. We'd love for you to do that as well. Um, When you came in this morning on the back, you received a name tag, And I thought we were all getting new name tags, and so I do not have mine on this morning. I'll bring it next week. It's in my other notebook. Um, We just encourage you. You saw the women that stood up, and I know there are some who haven't taken Wellspring for a while. So I really encourage you to wear your name tag. I know sometimes we think we know everyone, but we don't. And we want to learn everyone's names. And so I just encourage you, just grab that, maybe keep it in the front of your notebook um, and wear that every week. That'll just really be helpful. Um, and then I just want to talk for a little bit about your commitment to Wellspring as we look at the year before us. Uh, we, we ask that you take the commitment to Wellspring seriously. Uh, we know that you will benefit the most by being here consistently, but I want you to think of it in another way as well. So will your discussion group benefit the most if you are here uh, each time that, that we meet. Um, we are here, again, a, a big part of Wellspring is fellowship together, teaching, but it's also learning from one another as we participate in that discussion group time. So when you're not here, it doesn't just affect you, it affects all of us. So I just want you to think through that and, and really take your commitment um, and, and try and be here as consistently as you possibly can. Um, Again, a very important part of Wellspring is what we're going to learn from one another. And so we want you here. We want to learn from you. Um, And so we know that uh, that happens best if if you plan for that. So I just ask that you come prepared each time. Um, You have homework to do. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And come ready to to be able to discuss in uh, the discussion group time. But we also know that things happen. Kids get sick, we get sick. And so if you have to miss, then we just ask that you listen online, do your homework again, so that the next time when you come back again, two weeks later, that you will be prepared um, to be able to share. And also when you're serving in Wellspring Kids, you'll also see um, in that handout, there's a, a schedule of when you'll be serving. You'll serve, I think, two times, maybe some three times throughout the year in Wellspring Kids, and uh, so when you when that is your week to um, help over there, then just go ahead and come in here first, 
mark off your uh, name on the attendance, grab the handouts, and then go over. And that for those of you who maybe haven't done that before, particularly those of you who are new to Wellspring, I hope that you look at that part of being able to participate in Wellspring Kids, not as a, oh, I have to help with childcare this morning. It really is not like that. You are gonna love being over there. I feel like I, when I go over there, I learn as much from the women who care for the kids as I do here. It's just a really sweet time. Um, I think you'll learn a lot by being with them, and I think you'll be really encouraged by that. So, um, again, when you're serving over there, um, listen online so that when you come back in um, the ne- in the next two weeks after that, that you'll be ready to prepare. And, and either Ann or Kim's going to come in next, next week and give us a, a little bit more um, instruction on that. So I just want to take a little bit of time, and again, particularly for those who are, are new, to just take a look at the notebook. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get something like this, and it's like, you know, I just want to look inside. But I actually want you to look at the front of it and, and just notice um, that the name of our ministry is Wellspring. And that wasn't just a name that we just picked out of nowhere. Um, it comes from Proverbs 4.23. And if you got the email, hopefully you were able to take some time to meditate on that verse over the last week. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And that tells us that all of life flows from our heart. And it also reveals our heart. So the logo on the front of the notebook there conveys that. You'll see that there's a continual flow of water from an unseen source, just like everything that flows from our life flows from our hearts. And then that logo also conveys the idea of one generation pouring into another. And what we pour into others, again, flows from our hearts. And that's why we encourage each other to continually care for our hearts, so that what we are pouring into others is good and pure and true, that it's grounded in the word of God and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, now I want you to go ahead and turn to the back, which I know you those you can tell who came, uh, who's been in Wellspring before, that was the first thing they did. That's what we're going to do every week when we meet together. Um, we're going to be looking at our Wellspring purpose and the three disciplines. Now Scott's going to be touching on them this morning, but I just want to go over them real quickly so that you're familiar with them. So our purpose in meeting to, together um, each time is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd our hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God. And why do we do that? We do it for a purpose, so that we live gospel-transformed lives. And what will be the result of that? The result will be that we will strengthen the church. The church will actually be strengthened in its gospel purpose when we are focused on that. And uh, so we pursue this wellspring purpose through three disciplines. These disciplines are a framework to help us understand what God says in his word regarding uh, the priorities for the woman who faithfully pursues God and pursues his ways. So the first one is the heart. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart. And if that's a new term for you, we'll talk about that all year long. It's a helpful tool when we understand what it means. So the faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully 
toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. Again, we'll be encouraged all year long to do that. And then the second discipline that we focus on is the home. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. And then the third uh, discipline is the heart. Excuse me, is ministry. So with a heart fixed on God and her God-given ministry within her home is, continues to be a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. So our, our purpose then in going over, we're going to go over these every week, is so that we grow in these disciplines. So you'll hear these each time that we meet, and I think the more you hear them, the more helpful they'll become in, even as you spend time reading, reading the word, you'll see them through the filter of these disciplines. So let's go ahead and open up our notebooks, and uh, the very first thing that you'll see is uh, a uh, bookmark on the left. Again, those have the, the uh, Wellspring purpose and uh, disciplines in them. I know for me, I think it's helpful if you want to just grab that out. Is it in there? Okay. And uh, put it in, in your uh, Bible or if you use electronic. I just keep mine on my laptop. Um, so when I pull it out every morning, it's just helpful for me to be reminded of them and where my heart needs to be focused as I spend time in God's Word. And then you'll see um, on that right-hand side the calendar for the year. Uh, hopefully everyone's got the word that we are going to be meeting every other week this year. There were some reasons why that was planned. We'll see how that goes. But for this year, we're going to meet every other week. So I want to make sure that you put those dates on your calendar. There's some breaks in there um, over the holidays that we will not be meeting. So we want to make sure that you are here when we meet. But we also want to make sure that you are not here when we don't. I don't want you to think that, you know, we've closed the doors and tried to keep you out. That's not it. Um, we just want, we're on this schedule, so if you would just put that in your calendar. And then also the dates that you serve in Wellspring Kids, if you could make sure that you mark those dates on your calendar as well. Um, and then um, the next page is just the uh, resource uh, with con our contact information. Again, if you need anything... Um, either this morning, but at any time from Melissa, Janet, or I, please, um, our information is there for you to use it. Just contact us and let us know. And then under that is instructions on how to find and download the audio and the handouts. Um, you will receive an email um, as soon as those are, are available to download. Again, if you have to miss uh, please do uh, download the audio, listen, or sometimes it's helpful for me if a lesson has really impacted my heart, I'd like to listen to it again, uh, especially if I'm in the car or something, and so that's just an opportunity for you to be able to do that. And then under that is a snack sign-up. Uh, we like coming in. I know some of you are out early in the morning dropping off kids. It's kind of nice to have snacks here, and so um, you'll receive an email from the church office to do that, and it'll also send, send you a reminder uh, for when... Uh, you have, have uh, signed up for something. And then there's just an, two tabs um, that say the, res the um, outline and the homework. It's just an easy way to keep track of those, particularly when you, if you can just do, maybe do the front of your homework on the, very, the, on the front part of that tab. So when you go to your discussion group leaders, you're not flipping through papers. It's just an easy way that we added that to, to help you keep organized. 
Um, so let's go ahead and um, turn to that page um, that talks about the homework and the Bible reading. And we're going to go over that. In fact, if while we do that, if you would, in your handouts this morning, if you would just pull out the homework. I know we're going back and forth. There's a lot of things to go through, but I want to make sure when it's time to do it that you are you know what to pull from. So you received homework. It should be the colored paper. Right? Is it colored? Okay. So we try and do the outlines on white on a white paper and then the homework will be a different colored paper. And just in case there's anyone that thinks, well I can just pull my homework from last year. We make the colored paper different colors every year, so you can't just pull out the other one. So if you want to just go ahead and look at that, I want to walk through that with you um, this morning. So each, each time we do homework, there are going to be three different components. There'll be a looking back um, section, usually a question that will give you an opportunity to reflect on and apply the teaching that you just heard. Um, to keep that so that we, we don't just listen to a lesson, put it aside, but um, it'll, it'll give you an opportunity to reflect back on it. There'll be a section that's called day by looking day by day, and that's just an ongoing encouragement for you. There'll be questions that will help you persevere in prayerfully meeting with God and his word daily. Um, and then there'll be a looking ahead question that will give you an opportunity to either think through an idea or look up some scripture that will help us prepare for the upcoming lesson um, that will be next. So those are the three that will be consistently there every time. And then sometimes we'll also have a section called Digging Deeper. And we might have a question or two there that will just provide us with some further study um, into a particular topic that might help us, for example, in growing and shepherding our heart um, as well as maybe some some questions that might challenge us to care well for for others so those are going to be the the components of the homework and then if you notice on the very bottom there's a, a wellspring kids memory verse for those of you who have kids and wellspring kids the workers over there are are counting on you memorizing that verse with your kids their lessons are going to build on that and it'll just be really helpful for you to, to work um, with your children on memorizing. It'd be a great thing for you to do with them. And even if we don't have kids over there, what a great challenge for us just to memorize um, a verse each time that we um, go through the homework. So I just really encourage you to do that. Your homework will be turned into your discussion group each time. And the reason why we do that is because it's really helpful for, you discuss, for your discussion group leaders to get to know you this way. It helps them to know how to pray for you. It also gives us some accountability, knowing that we're going to turn it in. Um, I know I like when I get it back, knowing that someone has, has read over it. Usually I'll find like some scripture or just some words of encouragement. So it's, there's a reason why we do that, and I, I think it, it's really helpful. Um, for that. So again, the homework is important because it, it really helps us to evaluate ourselves. I can listen to a lesson um, either in person or online, but there's something about really taking time, setting time away to evaluate my own heart in light of what I've just heard. So um, it's going to help us, I think, see areas where we need to grow and to change. And then sometimes, too, it's just encouraging to be writing out an answer to homework and to see areas that God has been faithful 
in working in us and conforming us into the Im- into his the image of his son. And so sometimes I think it just provides some some great encouragement and some some opportunities to really worship him and praise him for what he has been doing in our lives. <clears throat> and then you'll see a date um, on that homework of when it's due. It'll be you'll get two weeks to do that this year. Um, for this particular homework, you'll see it just says Thursday. From here on out, we're going to put there'll be a due date for Thursday, a due date for Saturday. Just because we're both meeting on this in the same week this year, um, it's just going to streamline a little bit. So just look for the Thursday date that it's due. And one thing I would encourage you, um, and that is that you, on that looking back section of your homework, that you do that as soon as possible after you hear the lesson. I just think it's helpful to have that lesson fresh on our minds when we um, uh, do that that section. Um, for all of the homework, we know it's never helpful to wait till the very last minute. We all tell or told our children not to do that, right? And so I just want to encourage you um, to do to take time, plan some time. You've got two weeks this year to do it and to really be purposeful in how you do your homework. Again, what you put into it is going to benefit you the most, and it's also going to benefit those in your discussion group leaders if you really give it some time and some thought. So um, plan well for, for uh, time in your homework. And then in addition to the homework, we ask that you make a commitment to consistently be in God's word over the year. Um, That's how we grow in holiness is when we are consistently, when we're prayerfully, worshipfully reading God's word. And again, we're going to talk a lot about that this year, but um, we want to be intentional. We want to grow every year in being more and more intentional, not only in reading God's word, but in how we read his word uh, so that we know how best to care to watch over our hearts so that our time in God's word actually leads us to worship him, not just read because it's something we're supposed to do, but we want it to be purposeful. We want it to be a time of worship with God. And so for Wellspring, we use a Bible reading plan um, to facilitate that in order to get into a a good routine, a habit, a, a plan of spending time in God's word daily. And not just for this year, but for the rest of our lives. And so I want to go through those plans for those of you who are new to Wellspring. And maybe some of you who have taken Wellspring before and you've always chosen the same one. Maybe listen just a little bit differently and and, uh, think about which one of these plans might be um, helpful for you. So I just want to go through those quickly this morning. The first one is the chronological um, reading plan. It's in the... Do you see it? It's in the resource section. Um, and again, it's chronological, so it's going to take you through the Bible in how it in how it actually happened. I think it's a really helpful way to go through the Bible because it gives you a big picture of how things happen in the Bible. But if you do choose this plan, I want you to know that you're in the Old Testament for a long, 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 long time. So it was helpful for me. I, I read another book with it that helped me focus on the gospel. And next week, um, I'll try and remember to have some of the gospel primer um, in here. That was a helpful tool for me to go through because it, it was just hard not to be reminded of gospel truths during that time. But it's a, it's a wonderful reading plan that if you've never done it, I'd encourage you at least some point to go through that. The next one that you'll see is 52 Week by Genre. 
Um, you'll read the whole Bible in a year. So you'll see on there that Sunday you'll read through an epistle. Monday is the law. Tuesday is history and so forth. Um, in this one, you'll read a, couple, a few chapters every day. But when you get into, um, especially in the prophets and the history books, there are some days that you'll need to read six to seven book, um, books a day. And so chapters a day, and sorry, not books, chapters a day. No one will pick that one, huh? Chapters a day. And so you just need to have a little bit of flexibility in your time if you choose that plan. The next one is the McShane's reading plan. And you'll be in four different parts of scripture every day. This one is encouraging because you'll read through the Old Testament in a year. And then you'll read through Psalms, Proverbs, and the New Testament twice in a year. So... Um, I think you'll read about four chapters a day on that one. So again, just keep that in mind um, if you choose this one. And then the next one is, is the Old and New Testament. Almost every day you will be in the Old and New Testament in that one, and you'll get through the Bible in one year. <clears throat> and the next one is the Discipleship Journal. Um, I think that one is for people who can actually read it. I took that out this night and went, wow, that's got small print. Um, but it, it's a great plan. You will be, you're in every single day, you'll be in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you'll read through the, um, the entire Bible in one year if you choose that one. <clears throat> one thing I do want you to know about this one is it, it has a planned reading for 25 days out of the month. And so it gives you a little bit of cushion time. If you need to, if you want to catch up, so to speak, in, re, in your reading plan, or maybe you just want a little bit more um, time to spend in your homework, it does give a little bit of flexibility. So that's the difference in that one. The next one is the Blue Letter Bible, and that is a two-year reading plan. So you'll get through the, the, both the Old and the New Testament um, in two years. And then the next one, um, we've added a plan that is one to make, you can make up your own plan. Maybe that you've read through the Bible many, many, many times and you just want to focus on, maybe take a month and focus on one book at a time. And so you can just make out a plan for that if you um, choose to do that as well. And then we all know there are lots of apps. There are some great online resources, resources if you want to choose your own. Again, the purpose is not that we have... Um, we just have to be in the Word because that's what I'm supposed to do and they're going to ask me about it. We want a plan that's going to work, um, that keeps us consistently in God's Word and helps us to learn to read devotionally so that we really benefit from our time in the Word. So all of these plans except for the Blue Letter Bible plan are, for, are uh, planned out, written out on the, those pages for a year. But if you need to take one of those plans and break it down into two years, or even longer, then we want you to feel free to do that. Again, the purpose is to teach us to consistently be in God's Word. So plan carefully. Choose something that's going to work well for you. If you need to break it down into smaller sections, and that's going to keep you consistently in the Word, then that's what we'd like for you, for you to choose. So if you need help choosing one, if this is something new, you've never done it before, then again, please see Melissa, Janet, or me, or next week you'll be in your groups, ask your discussion group. We'd love to just talk to you about, I think I've done all of them, um, except for the discipleship one. I haven't done that one yet. So we may be able to just help you think through that. 
And then I also want to mention if you're already on a reading plan, I do mine from January to January. It's just the way I've always done it. And that's working well for you. Then just keep on that plan. But if you are choosing a new plan, we'd like for you to have that chosen by October 1st um, so that you can, because that's when, when most of them start. So um, <clears throat> why do we do this? Why do we even ask you to do this? Again, we, we want to be, we want a plan to be able to humbly and worshipfully come before God in his word. And we need the whole counsel of God. It's easy to just, if we don't have a plan, I know for me, I tend to go back to the same books of the Bible. And so this gives us the whole counsel of God and really helps us as we shape our understanding of who God is, um, helps shape our thinking, the choices that we make, and uh, really helps us in, in our obedience and walking in obedience with the Lord. And so we just want to encourage you. I know for me, I need to be reminded year after year, time after time again, um, about who God is, about who I am. We need to know who, how God views us, how he sees us, um, and, how, and who we are as believers in him, who we are as those who have been redeemed. And uh, so I just encourage you to do that because we know that it doesn't happen unless we plan for it, right? Maybe you're just one of those that jump up and think of it. Um, hopefully that's where it'll get us, but we just want to plan well for that time. Again, this isn't about finishing a Bible reading plan in a year. That's not, ask, that's not what we're asking you to do as much as we're asking you to plan well for a time to be in God's word consistently daily is just really important. So um, again, uh, we just want to encourage you to give that some thought. Ask someone else if you want. And uh, I just want to mention too, if at any time in the year you find that you're just really struggling, that either that particular plan or you're just having a hard time staying in God's word, don't, don't keep that to yourself. We're here to encourage one another. Mention it to your discussion group leader, one of the three of us. We want to be able to encourage you and help you to be consistent in God's word. So um, that's the Bible reading plan. And so when we talk about that, that's what we're talking about. So again, by October 1st, if you could have that planned. So then the next thing that you'll see in uh, your notebook um, are some great resources that you have. The first one is the heart. God's word has a lot to say about our hearts. And uh, so we need to understand that so that we need so that we know how to care for, how to watch over our hearts, as Proverbs 43, uh, 43 tells us. So um, when we do that, we want to know what it looks like to live a God-honoring life. And uh, so part of that, I think, is really helpful to look at those resources. Um, you'll see that there's heart categories for consideration. Um, and then the next tab is what, what the, the heart in the New Testament and what the New Testament has to tell us about our heart. I know it's been a real encouragement to me. I love to pull that out. Um, sometimes I'll just read a couple of those sections before I spend time in God's Word. It just helps me to keep focused and helps me to better plan, have a plan for the day on how I'm going to watch over and care for my heart. Um, and again, we, we may ask at times throughout the year, either in your discussion groups or in your homework to pull that out, and we may have you look up a couple of those verses um, to keep that before you. And then the next tab is the home, and you'll see home categories for consideration, and that's followed by the women of the Bible. I know for me, it's really helpful. I love um, 
reading accounts about faithful women uh, of, in, that are written, whose lives are written out in God's word. Um, I think it's really helpful for us to know how we're to live, maybe where we need to be careful. And so I think this is a great tool in being purposeful in learning from the accounts of these women in um, the women who have walked before us, those who have been faithful in following after God. And I think there's a lot to learn about reading those who have not and maybe areas that we need to be careful in. So throughout the year, we're going to give you um, maybe perhaps more resources. And then um, after you use those resources, that's just a place in your notebook that you can um, tuck those away. So before Scott comes up, I just want you to stop for a second and just look around the room. There are a lot of women. There are a lot of women in this room. And we want every single woman in this room to be encouraged and to feel cared for. And I want you to know that that is the goal of every discussion group leader. We want to care well for you and we want to encourage you. But I also want to remind you that that's a group effort. We all need to participate in caring for one another, in encouraging one another, and watching out for one another. And so I don't want you just to depend on the discussion groups, although that's the desire. But we, we want to do this together as a church body. We want to encourage one another. And so I hope that as you think about the year that's ahead of you, that you're excited about it, you're excited about what God's going to teach you, but that you're also excited about um, ways that you can encourage and share with other women the things that God's going to teach you. So again, we just continue to pray for the year before us, and uh, we're excited to uh, see what God's going to teach us and also to get to know you. So Scott, if you want to come up, we are ready for you. One o'clock. As long as your wife is ready to take care of the kids. She'll kill me. Well, it's good to be with you ladies. Thanks so much for letting me come. Let's take our Bibles and get them out. And um, you also need to have your worksheet. That was the handout today. We're going to be all over the map. Uh, For those of you who have been in uh, Wellspring before and um, you've, you've heard this many times, and, but uh, I make no apology for preaching it again, because there is no greater subject we can think about together than the glory of God in the cross of Jesus Christ and the transformed life by His Spirit, uh, and then narrowed down into a gospel activity, uh, the gospel mission of Jesus Christ to draw in sinners, build them up, and send them out for His namesake. So uh, let's put our seatbelt on, and uh, let's get our Bibles opened. Um, You can turn to page one because we're going to read all of them. Kidding. We'll be in Exodus. But let me start with prayer because we always need the Lord whenever we open the Bible, don't we? So let's pray together. Father, what a great privilege it is to have your written words right in front of us. Uh, Lord, we need you as we consider these words that are from you to us. These words primarily, um, foundationally reveal you to us and we want to see more of you in this word, even this morning as we study your Bible, um, and remind ourselves of familiar things to us that we love at this church about your Bible. We pray, God, that you would soften our hearts, that you would make them receptive to truth, and that where um, we find your word chafing up against us, Lord, that we would be the ones to humble ourselves and tremble under your word. 
that we might yield ourselves more to your spirit and his work in our lives to conform us more to the um, amazing image of Jesus Christ. And it's in his great name we pray. Amen. Um, Before we start, I want to just remind you and give you a brief overview of the three primary disciplines um, for Wellspring. Um, The men in the church think about the same three disciplines foundationally. Um, You know, it's heart, it's home, and it's ministry. Uh, There is a sequence to that that makes sense, but it is not a rigid sequence because uh, your heart and shepherding your heart it's not something you ever graduate from and then go on to your home like first grade. You you know you don't want to keep doing first grade over and over. Um, although some of us did and it, we turned out okay. Um, you you these are, there's a sequence to it. There's a priority to it. Um, but you shepherd your heart. That's the greatest primor- priority because in that is the fountain, not your heart, but the word of God in your heart. The gospel in your heart, as you draw near to the Bible, you're drawing near to the God of the Bible who reveals himself here, and you're seeking to pause and to reflect on him and to worship him and to fear him and to enjoy him, to serve him. And when you do that, and then the little one cries in your home, or the little one comes home from work and he's crying, (laughs) Um, you're ready, you at least fueled up in some sense, and you positioned your heart to be more successful than at any other point during the day. Your quiet time is not a magical formula. You've already found that to be true. Because you read the Bible, you thought it was the most amazing moment of any day anybody ever lived. You poured a cup of coffee, your little one came out, and you sinned boldly against them. You know that. But... We keep doing this over and over and over and over. And you don't just wake up, find yourself at 10 o'clock in the morning and realize, my goodness, how did that happen? I've been reading my Bible for two hours and praying. It is a discipline. You must discipline yourself. Your husband can't do it for you. He wants to, trust me. But he can't do it for you and you can't do it for him. You must become disciplined in this by God's grace. Uh, to draw near to the Bible, to get in, to know the God of the Bible better and better and better. Okay, your kids desperately need mommy to be a, a mom who's drunk her fill of the Lord in the Word of God. Then your position to step into your family—that's the home—and you've got to be disciplined with that as well. And you ladies make a greater mark on your home than you know. Um, you, my daughter one time said to me, she said, Dad, you know what? I, f- I figured out that I only see you X hours a week. And in my immediate, and she had actually sat down and calculated. I think she was like in sixth grade. And my immediate response was, that's not true. And she goes, no. And she walked through every day. The, the 45 minutes to an hour I had with him before school and the two and a half hours I had with him after I got home at dinner. And then I realized, oh my goodness, how little time I actually had with them. And then I praise God for my wife who was with them so much more. And for many of you, that's the case. Uh, You are spending the bulk of time in your home and you're helping to shape it. Um, You need to be somebody who when you breathe and when you emit whatever comes from you, it must be God's word. It must be the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to shepherd your heart so that you can then step into your home and care for your home and put out a gospel aroma in your home. And that is a discipline. You will not find yourself just doing that. That is an uphill battle that is swimming upstream that is trying to roller skate uphill. You stop and you go backwards. 
You never plateau. You're either aggressively pursuing or you, or you slip and lose ground. And then finally, that kind of woman is the woman in Titus 2 who must step into the lives of other women in the church and care for them and say, this is my fight. This is what my fight looks like. This is what my discipline looks like. This is where I'm gaining ground and this is what happens when I lose ground. Um, now you're ready to step into the life of the church in that sense. So there's priority. Uh, there is a sequence, but there's a priority. Heart, home, ministry. And what you have to be careful of, and I've heard this in the church, and I, I don't think this is right thinking, and we have to do a better job of communicating this. Um, there, are, there are women and there are men who will evacuate themselves out of ministry to people in the church because they say, heart and home. I need to get my heart and my home together. Yeah, you do. But you're going to see today in the body, you are in the body of Christ. There are moments and there are little seasons in your life where things will be so maybe unsettled in your heart and maybe in your home that you'll feel like, you know, small group's really tough right now. And I get that. I understand that. But that should be for a very short season. And then you get yourself plugged right back into ministry. You get yourself plugged right back into the lives of other people because we need you. Other women need you. And you need them to help you. The way to strengthen some of that is not to evacuate from ministry, but to stay in it and persevere and let those women step into your life and say, I'll help you. I'll, I'll pray for you. Here's what you should consider trying at home. Okay? So nobody uses discipline one and discipline two as an evacuation for discipline three. You got it? All right? Very good. Now, here we go. The vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church. Today we're talking about how does Wellspring even fit in to all of this. <clears throat> there was a, a guy who ran the Chrysler Corporation a long time ago. Um, it, it was a mess of a company and he brought it out of the depths of despair. And he had this great statement. He says that if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And that is the case. If you aim at nothing in life, you can't expect to hit the target of life, the goal of life. If you aim at the wrong target, you certainly are not going to aim at and, and ever arrive at the right goal in life. So your only hope in hitting the right target in life is to know what it is. And then with all of your might and with all of God's strength and his, his spirit strength within you to strive at hitting that right goal. And so as a church family, we don't want to aim at nothing. And we certainly don't want to be aiming at the wrong target for our church family. So we tried to make sure that we're focusing on the right target to direct our energies toward as a church family. So we have to strive not by our own strength, um, because if we do that, we will certainly fail. But we need to rely on God's word to guide us. We have to rely on his spirit's strength within us. Um, and we have to abandon the wisdom of the world. We have to abandon the wisdom of the godless culture we live in. Uh, the elders are not interested in business uh, trends that work for a corporation, but can't even begin to address the life and the unity of a local church family. We're a spiritual entity. We're not just a corporation. And we have to abandon the trendy trends of evangelical culture today. I mean, one thing comes and the next thing goes and it happens over and over and over. And all they do is every 10, 20 years is recycle the old safe thing and put a new flashy celebrity face on it. And it's just got a new life again. Um, uh, you're going to see this. The longer you live in Christ, the trends come and they go and the trends come and they go. And this time it's got a different guy's face on it. And then next time it's got a different, another guy's face on it. We're not looking at those things. The vision and the purpose statement for a Grace Bible Church functions 
as a tool, and that's all that it is, um, that we use to help us to aim at the right target or the right goal for our church. And the only thing we need in this endeavor is this book right here. To aim at the right target, all we need is this book. The Bible alone tells us what the target is for the church. It alone directs us step by step toward the goal for the church. And so then what is this statement you see at the top of your um, page there and that you see on the bulletin every Sunday? What is that then? Well, it's one way, one way. There are many ways. But this is one way for us to distill and summarize what the Bible says in its entirety. Now, anytime you try to summarize what the Bible says, are you going to leave important things out? Yes. There are some important things that aren't even mentioned here. Um, But that doesn't keep you from doing it. When somebody asks you about your testimony, you don't tell them everything. You tell them what you can tell them. So we understand that we do that. But, but this tries to grab the main lines and strands and themes of the Bible and the gospel and the mission for the church. So let me read it for you there. You see there's this main big statement in the middle. A biblical vision of God leads us to our gospel purpose in Christ. And then each of those parts has a, a triad to it, right? The glory of God, the cross of Christ, life transformation by the Spirit, and then drawing in, building up, and sending out. We begin broadly. It's a biblical vision. It's as big as the Bible. The the vision that we use, uh, that we aim for and look at, is as wide as your Bible is wide. And then it narrows down to something within your Bible, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, This book is the the Bible. Uh, The gospel is often said to be the crown jewel of the Bible. Um, This is not the gospel. This is the Bible. And the gospel is within it. It's revealed within it. And so we start wide by focusing our sights on the Bible, and then we eventually narrow down our activity into the gospel purpose of Jesus Christ. And they're both in triad form. So the vision part focuses on a person. Did you notice that? The God of glory, the Christ of the cross, and the spirit of transformation. So our sights begin first just on a person. And then the purpose focuses on a task or an activity, drawing in, building up, sending out. And I love this about our target that we're aiming for. First and most, we focus on a person, and not just any person, the person, capital P person, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And then we get to work. Then we go after a task, an activity his son's task for us. So maybe said another way, first, we worship. First, we fear this God. First, we love this God. And then we get to work for his son's sake in this world. So let's take each of these big strands together. Let's start first with a biblical vision of God. What do we mean by vision? Um, in the phrase, a biblical vision of God, we intend to use um, a word from the sight family of words, right? We're talking about vision. By vision, we mean that we want to see the God of the Bible with the eyes of our hearts and minds. And that side of him we want, it comes only one way, through the words on the page. It doesn't come through dreams or anything like that. It only comes through the Bible. That's where we see him. The sight of him there. 
It is a biblical vision in that sense. We do not see God or have visions of him from any other source. We see God by these scriptures. We see him in these scriptures only. And then what did these scriptures set our eyes on? Well, one way to summarize the grand revelation of God in this book is in this triad, the God of glory, the Christ of the cross, and the spirit of transformation. So let's talk about the glory of God first. The word glory in your Bible uh, means um, weightiness, heavy. The Old Testament word for it is, is just heavy. But heavy in the sense of impressive. Beyond measure, um, overwhelming. And when it's used in reference to God and God's glory, it means that God has weightiness. He has worth beyond measure. He has a splendor and a a majesty, uh, an impressiveness, an overwhelmingness about him. And in regards to God in Scripture, God appears to communicate that glory Uh, manifest that weightiness of himself in connection with radiant, brilliant light. Radiant, brilliant light. It's really interesting. There, There is a sense in which God's glory is that which he uses in the Bible in special moments to reveal himself to man, to the prophet, whoever he's meeting with. So that that man can take him in, can take God in and survive. God uses his glory, his weightiness in brilliant light as a tool to communicate himself to man in scripture. You can write down John 1.18. John says there, no one has seen God at any time. Let's go back to Exodus 33. You're going to be back here a little bit with me. So go back to Exodus 33, verse 20. This is that chapter where... Uh, Israel is in big, big trouble with God. Um, They have done the whole golden calf thing. And now Moses is back up on the mountain with God. And God is saying, I am not going anywhere with you. I'll give you my angel and he'll go with you. And Moses is pleading with him. It has to be you, God. You, Yahweh, you must go with us. And you remember the whole story. But look at Exodus 33, verse 20. But he said, Yahweh said to Moses, you cannot see my face. For no man can see me and live. If anybody tells you that he was looking in the mirror and he was shaving and he talked with Jesus or talked with God, he's a liar. He saw something maybe, um, but it wasn't God. Because no man can see him and live. But at unique times, God communicated or he revealed something of himself to men in a weighty and impressive, radiant, brilliant form that man was capable of soaking in and surviving. And Moses was dropped to his knees. Take your shoes off. You were on holy ground. This weightiness of God, this glory of God. And Moses came down the mountain and he didn't even know it. But what was true about him when people looked at him? His face was glowing. The radiant brilliance of God had even transferred to him. So let's look and see for a moment here how your Bible ties together this whole uh, glory of God. Look at chapter 33, verse 18. Moses is there on the mountain and he just says, show me your glory. I want to see that weighty, impressive, radiant, brilliant glory that is that you're using to communicate yourself, right? So Moses is on a mountain in the Old Testament before the glory of God. Now I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9, verses 28 and following. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. 
This is the Mount of Transfiguration, the mountain in which Jesus, on which Jesus was transfigured before their eyes, before Peter, John, and James. Luke 9, 28. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. So now we're back on a mountain scene. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. So Jesus' face becomes altered. And his clothing became white and gleaming, radiant, brilliant light emanating from him. And behold, so, okay, back up. Mountain, now radiant light. Sound familiar? Next verse, verse 30. Behold, two men were talking with Jesus. They were Moses and Elijah. So now you're on another mountain. You've got radiant, brilliant light, and Moses is there. And you also have Elijah. In one sense, you've got the law and the prophets. You have the Old Testament revelation summed up in these two men on a mountain. Again, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And the story you know, goes on about how Peter does not get what is going on. He thinks Jesus is on the same level as Moses and Elijah. He thinks he's on the same level as these Old Testament prophets who represent the scriptures. And God says, no, he is above that. He is the God of the scriptures. He's me. He's my son. Glory of God tied from the beginning to the end. Here's another one I'll let you see. Uh, You can write down Isaiah 6, 1 to 7. Isaiah there is overwhelmed by the massive, majestic presence of God in the temple, right? And then turn over to John chapter 12. So that's Isaiah 6, 1 to 7. Now turn over to John chapter 12, verse 37. What does John tell us? John 12, verse 37. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fill the word, fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who's believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Chapter 12, verse 39. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he's blinded their eyes and he hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their hearts and be converted. And I healed them. Verse 41. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. He's talking about Messiah. Who did Isaiah see in the temple? The glory of Messiah, pre-incarnate. So your Old Testament, from the Older Testament into your Newer Testament, the glory of God is the central theme of the Bible, and we want to set our eyes on that God in all of his weightiness and impressiveness. And you say, so what? What difference does this make? Um, There's a lot of talk about we need to glorify God with our lives. We want to please him. We want to magnify him with the way that we live, and we should not take away any emphasis on that at all, but we should put something before that which will only help us. So before you rush out into your day to try to glorify God in your parenting and try to glorify God with your, your, your marriage and try to glorify God in whatever ministry that God has called you to, don't rush to glorify God by skipping what is glorious about him in the scriptures, right? Position yourself daily before this book, before these words, to drink in just God in all of his weightiness. What difference would that make when your little ones come out? When you have to care for the big little one in your life, your husband. 
What is impressive about God in the pages that you're reading? It doesn't matter where you are. Are you reading the, a bunch of names you don't understand in Chronicles or First Chronicles? That, that's okay. God, show me what is impressive about you. God, show me what is um, weighty about you. God, help me to linger here a little longer in worship in regards to you. Help me to say back to you these very words that I see David saying in the Psalms or that I see Daniel saying or that I see um, the disciples in, in, in Acts saying. Wherever you are, linger there a little bit longer. That is how you will best glorify God with your life is when you are drinking in the glory of God first. So our cry every day needs to be something similar to Moses when he was on the mountain. You open your Bible, you rub the sleep out of your eye, you take a sip of your coffee and you say, God, show me your glory. Show me your weightiness. He was desperate to see the impressiveness of God and that positioned him to glory, glorify God once he came down the mountain and was among the people of Israel. So open your Bible each day with a cry of desperation and plead with God to show you his glory in the words on his page. You can do that if you read 10 chapters. You can read that, do that if you read 10 words. Whatever it is, anything between there, that's your prayer. Show me your glory. Secondly, what did the scripture set our eyes on? Um, actually, the most shocking event ever recorded in the pages of scripture, that is the crucifixion of the Son of God, the cross of Christ. How is Christ's death at the cross related to God's glory? Do they have any relationship with each other? They absolutely do. This is astounding. You can go back to Exodus chapter 24. I'll show you this from left to right in your Bible again. Exodus 24 verse 15. You can turn there. Um, the weightiness of God, the impressiveness of God, the radiant brilliance of God in Scripture is inseparably tied to the blood that is sacrificially shed in a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, God in all of his glory was enveloping a mountain after the exodus from Egypt. Look at Exodus 24, verse 15. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. I imagine, I think, like him going up to Camelback Mountain. And then all of a sudden, a cloud just covers, just drinks up the mountain. And the impressiveness of God, the weightiness of God, even the brilliant light of, of God rested on Mount Sinai, just coming down and just sitting on the mountain. Covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, God called out to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel down in Arcadia, as they're looking up at Camelback Mountain, the appearance of the glory of Yahweh was like a consuming fire. They're like, that mountain's gone. Certainly it's not going to be left when he's done. His fire is just consuming the mountain. And Moses entered into the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. He was living on the word of God alone. He didn't need even bread. The mountain was quaking and it was giving way under the weightiness and the overwhelmingness of God. And then while he's up there, Mosaic law is given to Moses. God revealed there through that law that he wanted his glorious presence. That, that glorious presence that's enveloping a mountain. God through law said, make a tent for me. Make a tent for me. You guys all live in tents. I'm going to be in a tent in the midst of your tents. That's ridiculous. Nope. Nobody would have ever thought about that. That was from God. 
He wanted to dwell in the midst of the tents of Israel in his own tent. And his prescription in that tent was, before I even get into it, I want blood everywhere to set it apart. And then I'll put my glory in it where the blood was. And then I will require of you everyday blood. The blood of a substitute. The blood of an innocent, innocent substitute. An animal. So God fused his glory and the blood of a substitute together from the very earliest pages of scripture. Go to Exodus 40, verse 34. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about Exodus and Leviticus together. You think of them as two different books and they are. But I want you to see this. Exodus 30, uh, chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not even able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the temp- tabernacle. There was such an intensity about it that he couldn't even go in. And whenever the cloud lifted, they went. And whenever the light by night moved on, they moved. And when it sat down, they didn't go anywhere. And then notice how Leviticus chapter 1 starts. Then, it's like there's no even a chapter break, not even a book. It's just like, here's the next word. Here's what happened next. Then, Yahweh called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of the meeting. So the glorious presence of Yahweh is in there. And he says, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd of the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that it may be accepted for him. Here it is to make atonement on his behalf. Exodus ends with the radiant glory of God filling the tent. Leviticus begins with the blood of an innocent substitute in the tent. Sound familiar? The fusion of God's glory and a substitute's blood reached its revelational climax where? In the cross of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate substitute, where he shed his blood for the glory of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. The writer of Hebrews helps us understand this Old Testament idea and transfers it into the New Testament, shows us progressively what God is doing. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. We saw that. We talked about that. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, and he said, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tent and all of the vessels of the ministry with the blood. That was to set apart the tent so that the glory of God could come in. And according to law, one may... um, Almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these. And that's all that the tent was. It was a copy. It was a God gave to him a pattern. He said, follow this pattern and the tent will represent something of the reality of heaven. But the heavenly things, verse 23, um, they themselves are cleansed with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with the hands of men, which is just a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. And then here was the tent practice or the temple practice once they had a temple. 
verse 25. Nor was it that Jesus would um, offer himself often over and over. As the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have had needed to suffer often, often since the foundation of the world. But here's what Jesus did. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. This is the, the, where your Older Testament and your Newer Testament, I mean, there, there is just only continuity between the God of the Old Testament, the God of glory, and the blood of a substitute. Everything that was going on in the tent in the Old Testament was merely to look forward to a better thing that was coming, a better one who was coming, a better blood who, that was shed. So what does this mean? You know what this means as you're reading your Bible and you're understanding this more and more? It means that you can't talk about the glory of God without eventually getting to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And you shouldn't talk about the shed blood of Jesus Christ without also wanting to make a big deal about God and his impressiveness. You can't talk about the glory of God without getting the forgiveness of sin through the shedding of Christ's blood. You can't talk about the glory of God without getting to the, the putting away of sin from the Father's sight through the substitutionary death of Jesus. You can't talk about the glory of God without talking about wrath satisfied through shed blood. Here's your key term, right? This key phrase, penal, substitutionary, atonement, right? I say this every year. Penal, substitutionary, atonement. Penal sounds like penalty because there is a penalty. A penalty must be paid for our offense against God, our rebellion against God, our sin against God. But that penalty can only be paid by a substitute, the substitute who is Jesus, an innocent substitute, and all of that, that penalty was paid by an innocent substitute in order to atone for our sins. His shed blood at the cross takes away our guilt, um, satisfies God's wrath. It, his shed blood at the cross reconciles us to God. It forgives us. And we want to set our sights on the cross of Jesus Christ. So the God of glory and the Christ of the cross cannot be pulled apart. So what? What difference does that make? Every day? Again, just like before we talked about with the glory of God, you should position yourselves every day to drink in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, you can read Leviticus and get that. So don't ignore Leviticus and don't ignore Numbers and don't ignore Deuteronomy and don't stay with your five favorite books of the New Testament. Um, come back and look for it. You understand this. You get what God's doing. Think progressively. Think he's... he's uh, revealing progressive revelation to us. You have to move from left to right, but drink in the substitutionary death of Jesus. You want to be like the Apostle Paul. Go over to Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Here, here's your goal every day. This is Paul's goal. Galatians 6, verse 14. May it never be that I would boast. I've got nothing to brag about. Yeah, well, wait a minute, except in one thing. What? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Not only have we been crucified with Christ, which is really good, but Paul even says the world was nailed to the cross. I mean, the, the double dead relationship to the world in sin. Neither a circumcision anything or uncircumcision, verse 15, but what matters is a new creation being made new. 
If you want to be able to be like Paul and be able to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ, you're going to need to every day drink it in where you see it in Scripture. That's how you prepare your heart to boast in Him. That's how you'll be ready to boast in Him at any point during the day. When your little one climbs up onto your lap and asks you questions, when your husband needs encouragement when he comes home, it is your primary counsel to yourself and others. Listen, the cross is your answer when you sin. And the cross is your answer when you do well. Um, And the cross is your answer you give to your child when your child is just crushed under the weight and the guilt of their own sin. The cross is the answer to everything. How did you do anything? How did that even go right? How did you even do that? Well, it was only because of the cross. You never get to take the credit. You never get to boast. I never get to boast. So what we want a biblical... um, We want a biblical vision guiding us as a church. That means our Bible's open. We want to set our sights on the glory of God, the cross of Jesus, and then the transformation of life by the Spirit. Do you know what the Bible says and lays out as the Holy Spirit's primary work? I'm not asking you what you think, what you've heard other Christians say the primary work of the Spirit is. But do you know what the Bible says is the primary work of the Holy Spirit? The primary work of the Holy Spirit is this, to bring about the new birth that then ushers us into a transformed life. That is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? Do you love that about him? The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to bring about the new birth that then ushers us into a life in which we are capable of pleasing God. His primary work is to make the dead alive in Christ. You know, John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, Jesus is with um, Nicodemus. And whatever Nicodemus thinks he's going to say, we know that you are taught by God and you're a teacher. And he just interrupts and says, you've got to be born again. By the Spirit, Right? Uh, the Spirit is the one who causes you to be born again. Let's go to, um, did you write that down? John 3, 1 to 8. Uh, write down 2 Timothy chapter, I'm sorry, not 2 Timothy, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. Titus 3, 5 to 7. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but he saved us according to his mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the... Holy Spirit, whom he, I love that there's, there's the triune God here, whom he, God the Father, poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ. God the Father pours the Spirit out through his Son on us, and he's not stingy with his Spirit. He poured him out upon us richly. Jesus was pleased to be the conduit through which the Spirit would come. I will send you my helper. How does he do this? How does he cause us to be born again? Well, the Spirit applies the work of Christ at the cross to the one that the Spirit is saving, that he's causing to be born again. He makes what happened 2,000 years ago and a reality in time in 1985 for a 19-year-old punk in western Nebraska. And he did it for you the same way. A reality long ago, the Spirit enters into your life, causes you to be born again, and everything, everything, everything changes everything. He applies propitiation to your life, which is the satisfaction of God's wrath. He applies expiation to your life, which is the removal of guilt from the sight of God. He applies reconciliation to your life. He reconciles God to you, you to God. He adopts us into God. Romans 8 verses 14 to 17. He adopts us. 
Romans 8, 14 to 17. The Holy Spirit seals the believer. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Write these all down. Spend time on them. Um, And that means the Holy Spirit is the one who is powerfully preserving you for heaven. So that you get the inheritance that he is the pledge for. He's the guarantee. He's the down payment for what you're going to get. But in the meantime, while we live here in this new life, this new creation that he has brought to us, the Holy Spirit does something else too that's really important. He powerfully enables us to fight against indwelling sin, against residual sin in our lives. He is the primary power for our sanctification, our progressive sanctification. And all of this indescribable work Uh, of the Holy Spirit, it brings about then an amazing transformation of life to us. His new birth that he accomplishes for us, it ushers us into a new life which is marked by us actually progressively at one stage, by the next stage, by the next stage, overcoming sin in our lives. Bit by bit, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is what Paul said, but we all, with an unveiled face, looking back to that whole Moses thing, right? Moses veiled his face. He didn't like the idea that people could see the the radiance of God leaving his face over time. But we all aren't like him. We We don't need a veil. We're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. He was looking at the glory of the Lord. We are looking at the glory of the Lord. And we're being transformed into the same image from one level of glory to the next level of impressiveness. Not our impressiveness, but the impressiveness that he has. Just as from the Lord, and who is the Lord in this case? The Spirit. So the Spirit is transforming us. And do you see how the glory of God is not just tied to the cross, but the glory of God is tied to our transformation of life by the Spirit too? How about Romans 8, verses 10 to 13? Turn back to Romans 8. I want you to see this. This is very important. Romans 8, verse 10. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation. If that's the case, if that's what's happened, we are under obligation. You are not your own captain. You are not the one who gets to add Jesus to your life and say, here's what I want you to do for me. You are not. You are under obligation. Jesus is not under obligation to do what you want. You are under his uh, under obligation to him. We are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But in contrast to that, if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. You know what he's describing there? He's describing the unbeliever and then the believer. There are some who live according to the standard of the flesh. Who is that? Those are unbelievers. That's all they can do. They only have one standard. It is their flesh. And if you live that way, you die. You die. But in contrast to that, here's the believer. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, the difference between an unbeliever and a believer is not that the unbeliever sins and you don't. 
The difference is the unbeliever lives according to the standard of the flesh and will die and perish in their sin, but you fight your sin by the Spirit. That is what God determines He wants right now, and that is the role of the Spirit of God in your life right now. I want to be in heaven. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. And so do you. I'm sure you feel the same way. But what glorifies God right now is that He would take a clay vessel and put a treasure in it. What a mixed condition that is. And it brings him glory to do that now. And so the spirit of God in your life is the, is the power for transformation of life. The only power. And what difference does that make every day? Well, you, you open your Bible and you say, I, I need the spirit of God. God, I need you. I need your spirit to dwell. I need to yield my life to his power. And by that, we don't mean something mystical and weird and unforeseen. What we mean is, help me to hope, obey. Help me to grow more today by saying no to my sin, to put to death the deeds of this body. That's what I need your spirit for. I need you, God. I need you, spirit. So this is one way to summarize what the Bible is all about. We're setting our sights on a person, a triune person, the God of glory, the Christ of the cross, and the spirit of transformation. And we find that when we set our sights on the Bible and the God of the Bible as what I would say called paused worshipers, right? I mean, you should get distracted going into your day. Uh, I couldn't get to what was next because I was so paused here in worship of him. That then leads you to be very active. Leads you to be very active. Listen, as we pause ourselves to worshipfully gaze on the God in the Bible, our God in the Bible, we don't become hermits or monks who want to withdraw from the world and just meditate. We don't. We become very active people for the sake of Jesus Christ and his gospel. So we're ready now for the second half of our vision and purpose statement. Number two, our gospel purpose in Christ. What do we mean by gospel purpose? We're referring to Jesus' gospel mission. You'll you'll notice this as you read your Bible, that that God has different purposes for a lot of his servants at different points in his whole redemptive plan. Let me give you an example. Noah had a purpose. What was Noah's purpose? Build an ark. You got 120 years to do it. Build an ark. So he did. For a terrifying day of judgment that was coming on earth. Is that your purpose? No, I don't see anybody building an ark, gathering wood, and trying to figure out how to do that. Moses had a purpose. Moses' purpose was to go into Egypt and to help captive Israel escape their slavery to be under the care of Yahweh out in the wilderness and eventually in the promised land. Is that your purpose? Anybody going into one nation to take out another nation? That's not your purpose. David had a purpose. David's purpose was to be a godly king over the nation of Israel from his throne in Jerusalem to carry out God's justice from there among the nations and to punish evildoers from his throne. Anybody doing that this week? That's not our purpose, is it? We get that. So which purpose in the Bible do you live under as a follower of Christ? You don't live under Noah's, you don't live under Moses, you don't live under David's, but you live under Jesus' purpose in his gospel mission. And don't miss this. I'll say this again. Being a Christian is not about God yielding himself to your purposes and giving you a more fulfilled life in whatever it is you think you need to go be and do. He does not yield himself to your purpose. 
I tell you what, a Christianity that out there, an evangelicalism out there that puts that forward, that you know God will come alongside you, he just wants to help you have a fulfilled life. I tell you what, the minute life turns upside down for that person, they're going to be screaming at God, where were you, servant? But that's not God. Noah had to die to whatever his purpose in life was when God came to him. Moses had to die to whatever he was doing with sheep out in the wilderness. David had to give up his shepherd boy purposes in life when God came to him. And you have to give up whatever purposes you have in life in coming to Jesus Christ. And you live under his purpose. It is a gospel purpose. It is the mission of Jesus Christ in this world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ until the end of the age. Right? And it appears that when Jesus was in the Gospels, uh, as he's revealed in the Gospels, that he had three primary overlapping complementary activities for his disciples to participate in, drawing in, building up, and sending out. Busily engaged in all of those at the same time. These overlap, there's, there's priority, but there's not this rigid sequence. You never graduate from drawing in and then start building up. And you can't do any sending out until you've been drawn in and built up and got your degrees from those two schools, and then you can go be sent out. Turn to John chapter 6, verse 44. John 6, verse 44. Jesus had something to say about what it means to be drawn in. John 6, 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And he's not talking just about, uh, he physically needs to be drawn into my presence, because he's talking about raising him up on the last day. It is some kind of a drawing in that is so significant that it is eternal, and when he comes back and on his day, he'll raise that one up who's drawn to him. That, that's salvation. Right? How about verse 65 of the same chapter? And he was saying, for this reason, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Uh, Luke says the same thing in Acts chapter 13, verse 48, when Paul was on his first missionary journey and he was in Pisidian Antioch. Acts 13, verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, that Paul was going to turn away from the Jews in the synagogue and turn to the Gentiles with the gospel, when the Gentiles heard that, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Who believed? The ones who had been appointed to eternal life. God does this drawing in work. God does this drawing in work. In other words, what the New Testament makes immensely clear is that in the gospel mission of Jesus Christ, do we do something? Yeah, we preach the gospel. We call sinners to repentance and faith in the gospel, but sinners are drawn into a saving relationship with Christ, ultimately because of God. God. And that's what we labor for. Is that not what you want to see happen? Is that not what your parenting just gets swallowed up in? Your parenting is a subset of you want to see God draw in your children to his saving work in his son. Everything gets swallowed up in this. Drawing in is ultimately salvation drawing in that God does. And we get the amazing privilege to open our mouths and say, Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. It's amazing. It's also very important to note carefully that Jesus Christ is God's powerful object of attraction. Uh, go back to John chapter 12, verse 32. And I'm going to give you other verses to look at. Jesus said, John 12, verse 32, And I... 
If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Verse 33. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. A lifting up on the cross and breathing his last to draw all of his men and women and boys and girls to himself. You write down 1 Corinthians 1.18. 1 Corinthians 1.18. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. I determined to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and him what? Crucified. There's the drawing lodestone, so to speak. The magnet. You can lift up a lot of other things before sinners and they might get attracted to something, whatever it is you lift up. But if it's not Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sin, you don't know what God's doing in that. We're not interested in drawing in attenders merely for attendance sake. If we think uh, filling our chairs uh, is really cool, we haven't pushed ourselves far enough to ask the question, are they saved? We're not satisfied till that kind of drawing in takes place. When are you most satisfied? Are, are you most satisfied just because your, your child likes you? But they're lost. It doesn't satisfy you, does it? I mean, you go to bed at night and you're, you can't get to sleep because you need to talk to the Lord some more about where your, your son or your daughter's at. When are you satisfied? That whatever your friendship is or relationship with your child is, that, that it actually was a platform that God was somehow pleased to use to save them. Now you're satisfied. That's what life's about. That's what parenting's about, Right? What difference does this make every day? Listen, um, as you share the gospel with your children, your, your neighbors, your coworkers, classmates, wherever God has you, remember they are all dead in their sins. Okay? You don't have a spiritual band-aid for them. You have the gospel for them. They need a power beyond your friendship. They need a power beyond your wisdom. They need a power beyond your logic to try to help them figure out their lives. They need something beyond you. They need someone beyond you. They need the the power of God for salvation, which is what? The gospel. When God saved you, there was a person involved, most likely. I, I, I know one guy... I probably know more than one guy, but I, I know one guy for sure that he got out to, um, to run one morning. He was an unbeliever, and um, he lived up he, he lived up in Mummy Mountain over in uh, Paradise Valley. And his the only way to get to his house once you got to his driveway, it was a dead end. I mean, you, nobody was passing by his house <laughs> to go someplace else. And he got out to run, and he noticed something on the ground, and it was, there was a track, a gospel track. He, he had no idea how it got there, um, but he. He opened it up, and without anybody else in his life, he read it. He's like, oh, my goodness, I need to repent. And God saved him. Um, for most of us, there was somebody else involved in our lives when, when, when that happened. And, and you, know, you know what saved you was not that friendship, right? Um, I went to a, a Christian concert, and I heard the gospel. I had never even heard the gospel before. It wasn't a concert. It wasn't a religious gathering that saved me. It wasn't a church attendance that saved you. It wasn't your religious um, activity in a campus ministry that saved you. It was the gospel. It was God, right? Who drew you in with his power. You need to remember that. 
It's not going to be your friendship that saves anybody. It's not going to be you inviting them to church that saves them. Invite them to church. Be their friend. Give all of those things their proper weight. Just don't overweight them. Okay? Pray. Write down Romans 10.1. Write down Romans 9.1-3 and look at Paul's broken heart. I, I would... God, I'll be accursed if it means that they get to be saved. Can you say that? God, I would, I, I'd go to hell if you'd save my, my daughter, my son, my husband, my dad. That's, that's seeing things in a way that I don't yet see them, unfortunately. So Jesus had three primary overlapping gospel activities to do. Drawing in is the first one. Building up is the second one. Okay? The second one. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Most of us think about being built up and we think about it in an individual way, an individualistic way. And that's not wrong. We think about ourselves personally and we forget about the corporate building up. Um, Because we've been taught over years and just in evangelicalism, the emphasis is on building up an individual Christian. And we should never become unconcerned with that. But we should read our Bibles carefully and see what Jesus wants to do with the body of Christ. And if he wants something a little bigger than that, then we should want something a little bigger than that. Let's look at Ephesians 4 verse 11. Let me get on the right page. And he, Jesus, gave some as apostles, he gave some as prophets, and he gave some as evangelists, and he gave some as pastors and teachers. Why did he give these foundational kinds of gifts? Well, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the what? The body. Is that on your mind? Does that occupy any of your prayers? God, build up Grace Bible Church. Build up that body represented in that local church. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure, the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You see, you kind of just get swallowed up in that big picture there, don't you? That's what, that's what Jesus is after in this world, is that the body of Christ, that local bodies of Christ would be seen to be mature, like a, like a mature man, not a child. He talks about children. Look at it. As a result, verse 14, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And then here's the great statement. The whole body causes the growth of the body. That's the main clause in all of verse 16. The whole body causes the growth of the body. That's counterintuitive. But that's the way Jesus made the body of Christ. The body will actually cause the body to grow. Now he causes it to grow. He is the one who is the source. This is all from him, verse 16, from whom the whole body. Now where do you fit in? Where does your little individual life fit in? Well, let's look at it. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every connection supplies or every joint supplies. So there's joints of supply. There's there's one part comes up against another part and there's a supply. He says when one part comes up against the other, there's a supply of power there when their pieces are together. Now watch what it says. And that it has to operate according to the proper working of each what? 
individual part. There you are. There I am. So what is your focus? Your focus is on, I'm an individual part. That's all I can do. I can't make the hand grow when I'm the knee. Okay, but I, I need to make sure that I am growing. I'm an individual part so that when I then put my life in the body as an individual part and it comes up against somebody else's individual part, there's a supply of connection of power there. And when that happens all through the body, the body causes the growth of the body. That's what God wants to do with your life is put it in with other lives and supply a a connection of power between your life and another life and then growth takes place in the body. This is all from him. And this is for the building up of itself in love, verse 16. That's amazing. What difference does that make every day in your life? Well, how much do you focus on how much do you focus on your individual growth? Do you ever do that to the exclusion or to the neglect of the building up of the body? Listen, don't stop thinking about and strategizing how you need to grow personally. You need to keep doing that. But what might you need to add more of to? I've got to put my life in the body of Christ. And you just need to every once in a while take inventory of your life. Um, are, am, it seems like we haven't been at church a lot. It seems like we haven't been able to get to small group very much. It seems like we haven't been able to whatever. Um, well... Maybe you're in a, in, a, in a unique situation. Maybe God has you in a place where maybe you need to get the body to your house to help you. But you need to be taking inventory of your life to make sure that you can put your life together with other people in the body so that the body can grow. So the answer here is not to focus less on your personal proper working as an individual part, but rather the focus is to expand your view of what building up work God wants to do. All right, so we... We're concerned to be about drawing in. We're concerned about building up and lastly sending out. Let me give you a kind of running start through the Bible. Just as you think about this, you can write these down if you want. God himself always has been ascending God. He sent Moses, Exodus 3. He sent out Isaiah after he saw Isaiah, after Isaiah saw his glory. Remember he said, it's a great little, I love this passage in Isaiah 6. Um, he's sitting there, he's seen the glory of God. He's like, oh my goodness, I'm unclean, lips cleansed by the, you know, the angel. And he gets to then overhear God in his triune being talking. Whom shall we send? And he just is like, oh, send me, send me. Right? So Isaiah gets sent, Jeremiah gets sent, Ezekiel gets sent, John the Baptist was sent. And Jesus Christ was sent by his sending father. Then the sending son sends the spirit. Do you get that? I mean, we could spend a whole just message on this. Jesus dozens of times in, in the gospel of John refers to himself as sent by the father. He whom the father sent. The spirit is sent. John 14, 26. John 15, 26. John 16, 7. I will send the Spirit. The Father will send the Spirit. He sent out 12 disciples. I mean, when a sending Father who sent His Son, who then sent the Spirit, saves you, what do you think you're going to do? Be the only one who's not sent? You're sent too. Where are you sent? Well, sometimes He sends you to Papua New Guinea. Sometimes He sends you to uh, your house and take care of your kids. Sometimes he does both, right? 
Wherever you find yourself, wherever God has you, that's where he's sent you. And you know, there's a genius in that because there is, there's no way we as elders could think, how could we strategize an evangelistic opportunity for the women of the church where we could put them in touch with the same faces six days out of the week? Let's, here's a program. We'll do that. We'll, no, we can't do it. We just can't. The best program that, God, that has been put together is the one that God already has given to you. Think about your, your, your kid's schooling situation. Think about your neighborhood. Think about the store you go to. Think about um, work, the, the cubicle, the classroom, wherever it is. That, that's a tr- pretty tremendous evangelistic program that God has sent you into. Think of the little ones that you need to evangelize every day. Uh, that's not insignificant. That's very significant. So you need to just maybe adjust your own view of yourself. I am a sent one. I am a sent one. A sending father who sent his son, who sent his spirit, saved me, and I don't get to sit on the shelf. I don't get to bench myself. I don't sit on the sidelines. I'm sent too. Now, we're all sent in different ways. Some of us are better at it. Some God will give some of us a, a really wide scope of influence. And, and others of us might have a more narrow one. That's okay. Let God determine that for you. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't compare yourself to what others do. Just rest in what God does with you. All right? And the gospel is central to each one of these things. What, what, nobody gets drawn in without the gospel. How, what happens building up-wise if, if the gospel is not involved? R- Romans 16.25, Paul says, now according to my gospel that establishes you. The gospel always is establishing you and helping you to become more built up in Christ. And why would you even go sent out if you didn't have the gospel? Um, gospel central. So the glory of God in the face of Christ who is crucified um, for the spirit who brings about transformation of life. We set our sights on that God and then we um, go rushing out into the world under Jesus' gospel purpose. Um, on your last page, I'm going to let you read most of this on your own. Um, we've been doing build for over over 12 years now at this church, which is the men's version of this. Um, we added Wellspring to it not long ago. How many years have we been doing this now? Do you know, Chris? Nine? Wow. We did it a long time ago. Um, how do these fit together in under the this is question two you don't have to read it um, right now these are ministries of Grace Bible Church that are primarily building up ministries that's what God calls the church to do is to build up the church the church is also light in a community and as you scatter every Tuesday morning in our not every Tuesday morning but Almost every Tuesday morning when we meet us in, in the staff, um, Allie and um, Rachel and, and then Josh and Sved and me and John and Amr, we said, one of our things that we pray for is that, uh, that's on my mind is right now I'm sitting in a church office and there are like six people in this building from the church. And there are 400, 360 adults, 260 18 and under, scattered everywhere across this valley. That's amazing. There's a great influence, but this ministry primarily is a part of Grace Bible Church for you to be built up. And in building you up in your relationship with Christ through the disciplines, 
you are then going to be better positioned as you are sent out wherever God has you. And God will be pleased to draw in through you. So it's primarily a building up ministry that does not just exclusively think, you know, us four, no more, shut the door, we're built up. But no, I'm being built up so that wherever God takes me, I'm effective for him in drawing in. Um, They're going to ask you to read through the Bible. They're going to ask you to uh, maybe come up with your own Bible reading plan. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about our heart in that. Um, if you read the same five books over and over for like a decade, you're, you're impoverished. I'm, I'm just going to say it that way. You're impoverished. Do you know why? Because God revealed himself on so many other pages in the Bible. And so if, this is the, if, if you have never read through the Bible, would you prayerfully just consider that I'll put myself on a through the, year, uh, through the Bible in a year plan? I don't care if you put yourself on a through the Bible in a three-year plan. It doesn't matter. But you need to see the God who revealed himself in the words of your Bible on every single page. Ezekiel mentions the heart, I don't know how many times, 60 sometimes. Um, it, it's amazing. And if you never read Ezekiel, you don't know what God says about the heart there, about your heart. You need to explore him more in the Bible. So um, press yourself. Let this be maybe a year where you push yourself a little bit. And then you can all be like in your little group of encouragement uh, week after week when in about three or four or five, six weeks, you're like, my Bible reading really stunk this week. You're not the only one who will be there. Uh, Many of us will, and you can just help each other out. Okay? All right. Chris, anything else you want? Are we done? Yeah. Uh, Your little ones are being retrained for, again, you can hear that, can't you? Down the hall. It's great. I love it. Let's pray and we'll let you go get them. Father, I thank you for these ladies. I pray that you will bless them this year, Lord, that you would take this ministry. It's just a tool. Uh, It is not an end. We do not want to draw any attention to this ministry. We don't want to glorify this ministry. We don't want to brag or boast on any ministry in this church. But what we want is any ministry, every ministry, to be a tool that you would be pleased to use in some way, shape, or form to help us to become more like Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would have that effect on these women here, that they would value relationships more than a program, that they would value each other and uh, what you have to offer them in each other more than anything else. And most of all, that they would value your word above all, that they would live their lives um, in submission to you, that they would be eager to find out all the things that you have commanded, and that they would help each other to become better followers of Jesus Christ, Lord. Oh, how we need you for this. But we are weak in our flesh. Any efforts that we put forth in this on our own, apart from you, only fail and they do not glorify you. In fact, it offends you. So help us to be dependent. Help these ladies to be dependent upon you. Help them to come alongside each other and encourage each other uh, throughout the year. Help them to pick one another up and to encourage each other. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, ladies.